Welcome to the Voices of Manufacturing, where business leaders across the country share their unique challenges and insights. We want to help people within manufacturing and make them excited to come to work every day and go home safe to their family. When you bring people in, they're anything but a machine. They're partners that can help you build your business, that can be your success if you treat them right. It's almost like magic because it takes the learning process sometimes from weeks down to days, sometimes hours. This podcast is brought to you by Dazuki the premier frontline digital transformation solution that allows manufacturers to standardize operations. And now here are your hosts, Brian Salee and Michael Mullenberg. Michael, I was browsing LinkedIn the other day and I someone posted this question and it, it really got me thinking. I'm, sh- I'm sure it's something you've thought about, we all think about is who should lead digital transformation at a manufacturing company? And should it be the CEO? Is the CEO required to be part of it? Or can you really delegate digital transformation, you know, down to lower levels in the organization? And I'm, I'm curious, what, what's your thoughts on this? Well, that's a great question, Brian. And I'm, I'm curious, I didn't see the LinkedIn post. Was it a survey? Was, what, did they give an answer or were they just posing a rhetorical question? Just a rhetorical question, but it, and I saw some great responses and some good back and forth there, but I'm curious because yeah. you, you know, obviously you're 30. Seven years at 3M, you know, especially in operational technology where you were heavily involved in scouting for new solutions and you were a big part of digital transformation there. What are your thoughts on it? What are your opinions? What have you seen in the past? Yeah, I, I guess in my experience, I have not seen tremendous support from the top in terms of initiatives or resourcing or even strategy. I was fortunate to have some good air cover. And so we'll just leave it at that. You know, that you got to have that. But what we really found was, you know, finding people that were passionate about transformation, thought leaders, people that wanted to try new stuff, people that would react with it, with a proposal with, Hey, that sounds fun versus, oh, I'm not so sure I'm a little busy. So we just looked for those early adopters and, and people that had this, uh, this, this high aversion toward the fun factor. And frankly, most of our initiatives were driven that way. Very successfully, tens of thousands of people affected across the company by, you know, small improvements, digital methodologies, whatever it might be. So yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough question. Some people point to IT or HR or, you know, there's, there's always that group that's out there, you know, that's, that's their job. And I don't think it's quite that clear cut. I I would take passion over position every day. Correct. What me too. And, and well, there we go. Let's jump into it because we got a, <laughs> a, a great guest and a great topic today. We've brought on Mark uh, Gobesi from Superior Pack. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Excited, actually. <laughs> and Mark, you're you're down in Australia, right? Yeah, been here uh, almost 15 years now, on and off. Um, came here thinking it would be a two year gig, and I'd go back to North America, but uh, surprisingly. As soon as I got off the plane, was instantly in love with the country, and I have never looked back. In fact, uh, I, I really think Australia is one of the greatest countries in the world. It's just a remarkably clean, modern, uh, democratic, liberal kind of society that uh, I, I really enjoy. It's good. Mark, I'm curious. You know, I know Superior Pack, you guys do garbage trucks, right? You manufacture. Yes garbage trucks. You might tell us a little bit about the company and where you guys are currently at today. Yeah. So Superior Pack has been, uh, 
you know, the leading supplier for Australia, New Zealand, uh, refuse equipment for quite some time. Um, it's, uh, without question, the largest player in, uh, in, in the market here and has a strong reputation for building probably arguably the best product, although you can always debate that point. And I'm sure my competitors will be strongly debate that point, but we take great pride in building a product that we know serves our customers extremely well. But more importantly, I think what really distinguishes Superior Pack from the competitive marketplace is our commitment to service. And we've got extensive service facilities throughout the country, which is quite unique. And that gives us a tremendous capability for take care of the customers. And, and often in our industry, you know, we do more than just sell the product. We service it as well and, and often do that under, you know, uh, service contract arrangements to really allow the, our customers to focus on operational collection of waste and not worry about maintaining or keeping the equipment on the road. And Mark, just to give our audience kind of a sense of the type of production environment you guys have, you guys are building on top of someone else's platform. Is that right? Yeah. So typically either we've purchased the chassis for the customer or the customer's, you know, gone out and selected a chassis, uh, that meets his requirements and then we build on it and, and really we will build on almost anything the customers bring to our door. Uh, so we build on, a on, and Australia as bizarrely as it, as it may appear, it's probably got one of the most robust commercial truck markets in the world. Our most complex, we get all the Japanese products, we get all the European products and we get basically most of the North American product. So. The product portfolio that we build on is quite diverse. That makes the manufacturing, our manufacturing job quite challenging because although we like to say we build apples, the, the truth is nothing that we build is an apple, but <laughs> everything is unique and custom and highly tailored to the actual customer requirement. Yeah, I could see a lot, lot of variation there with all the different chassis you're building on. Yeah, just the chassis variation alone makes it complex, never mind a very complex product portfolio. So, you know, we build, we build really three distinct bodies, commercial front lifts, residential collection side lifts, rear lifts, and we also put hook lifts on chassis. So a fairly, and each of those product lines uh, has a broad portfolio of options, body sizes, height variations, lift variations. It's, it's, and then, you know, as technology has evolved and our customers need for advanced safety systems, now you've got, you know, some of our trucks have had up to 12 cameras on them. Some of them have, you know, uh, pedestrian detection systems, bicycle detection systems, reverse smart brake systems, forward collision avoidance systems, and all of it has to work seamlessly. So it's extremely complex digital platform and extremely, and, and a difficult complex fabrication process. And we build about 400 trucks a year. They're about three to 400, depending on the market, the year. So it's a full on production operation. It, Mark, I, what was really interesting, you know, I was, we were talking previously and, you know, you, I worked, we worked together many years ago when you're at another company and I know you took some time off, you semi-retired, yes. came, came back and you, you took a role with Superior Pack. And I, I know when you came in, you were dealing with some challenges there. You might kind of share it. What was the state of the company when you came in and some of those challenges you guys were dealing with, especially around digital tools and systems? So when I came, when I came into the company, the company successfully built product and built a high quality product that everybody, you know, really recognized as a quality hand-built product. 
but it struggled with scalability. So moving beyond its historical production uh, capacity had, was really difficult and no one really understood those challenges. So peeling back the onion and understanding what the true constraints of the business were was part of that, that initial assessment. Understanding some of the limitations of the business systems that were available. So the business ran, well, runs, still runs on a legacy ERP system. And I'll use that term loosely because it's really not an ERP system. It's more of a job shop system designed for a very small automotive type service shop um, that somehow was picked as its, you know, and at the time it probably suited the scale of the operation. It, it certainly doesn't suit the scale of the business now and, and had some real constraints in terms of the amount of parts we could display or provide information to the shop floor. So in fact, we only put out on the shop floor a really reduced set of bills of material. It didn't actually, it wasn't actually a complete uh, production shop broadcast. So, you know, there was, it was, we were asking people to build things with essentially an incomplete information set, which it doesn't generally work well. So we, there was lots of, lots of tribal knowledge filling in those gaps in the, in the system. And then from a performance management point of view, there were a fair number of Excel kind of uh, systems to, to try to provide clarity about performance, but uh, most of those had real gaps. And so it was looking at all of that and trying to find a way to tie it all together it was really right up front one of the big challenges. And it's a complex plant. 13 different departments operating essentially in parallel to try to bring all of that stuff together. It's fairly vertically integrated. So we start from raw steel and turn out a full complete product. We, at various times and at various components, we do our own hydraulic hose. We do our own electrical harnesses. We, of, we often we do supplement that with outsource partners, but really we're capable and depending on the product, uh, do it all in-house. So, you know, providing an MES solution where no solution existed was a key part of how do I coordinate all of this without having what I could see on the floor, supervisors literally walking through 13 different departments to really assess where all of those departments were in their various production plans and coming back and assessing what job should they be doing next based on what they saw as their upstream or downstream uh, flow? Uh, yeah, and I'll, I'm going to interrupt there because that context is, is really important. So there was no build book that was so we had, or, yeah. or was there? Well, there was a, so uh, again, so another piece of this puzzle was the fact that we had a fairly complex paper-based uh, workflow or, or quality assurance process. So every vehicle went into, every part of that went into some sort of bay. There would be some sort of checklist. It was generic. It wasn't actually representative of the product that was being built. It would go through a sign-off process. So there would be some quality control and some quality assessment going through the entire process. That bundle, often when it came out the end of the door, would be a half-inch thick a collection of sheets of paper that would be digitally scanned and then filed. No mechanism to extract 
the immense amount of data that was being collected in theory to help drive performance improvement essentially was invisible to anyone other than, oh, we had a problem with this truck. Let's go into that half-inch file and let's see what was done. But in terms of being able to leverage data to help manage and drive business performance, uh, invisible. So that yeah, was so one of the big pieces for me. Uh, two, and, and the other piece, which Dazuki really played into, is uh, no shop floor instructions, work instructions. So completely all tribal. Uh, supervisors, key staff had build books that they maintained, they controlled, they, they owned. And the business basically uh, was, it was invisible. In fact, the engineering office was often blind to actually how the guy in the shop floor was doing the final install. Engineering might have said, you know, you need to use this bracket, you need to do this. But the shop would have actually tailored that rough outline to a build-specific installation that meet that customer's requirement. So Dazuki, you know, when I, one of the very first things I did was put in Dazuki because it was clear that with no with no data collection for work instructions, we were going to never be able to scale, never be able to move beyond those key talent, those key individuals where that tribal knowledge existed. And so Dazuki was Dazuki was literally the first bit of software we put in. It, just to recap, you know, because you, you listed out several challenges there, right? There was really no routing, it sounded like, in terms of, or production scheduling. You know, it was all in the heads of your supervisors, it sounds like. So scheduling, we had a end date that we had made a commitment to the customer. We had an end date production document that we shared with our production team. There was no mechanism to control start or any of the business processes associated with that build within it other than tribal knowledge. So, you didn't know where any, like you're in the middle of a build for a customer. Yeah, short of walking like, well, okay. Where are we? Short of walking the floor and literally going to see where's that body, where's that chassis, where's the subcomponents, how did we, where are those parts in cutting? It would be impossible, and in fact, it was impossible to actually accurate provide any status update to anybody on any given day. Now, at the end of the day, we were still quite good at building product to schedule and still quite good at getting them out the door, but really it was tribally run and not a lot of transparency. So we really worked, worked hard to try to address both those issues. How do we understand where we are? How do we transparently provide that? How do we communicate that not to all, not just ourselves? How do we do that in a manner that I can share with the customer and give them confidence that when we say where we are, I, 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 there's a reason to believe that. Yeah, Mark, I often use the phrase craftsman culture yes. um, where, you know, you, you make adjustments to the standard based on, you know, what's available, what you idea you might have that day, you know, and the routing might change depending on who's available, you know, who's in the shop today. Correct. So does that does that sound familiar? Is that, that is, is it your early experience with your culture there? That was very much our business here, and, and, yeah. and, and to me, it was it was uh, like uh, I was in awe of our craftsmen uh, to yeah. when I first got here because I'd never been in a plant where I where such skill existed that you could it could run the way it was running here. So I my hats off were I looked at all of those supervisors and said, "You are some of the hardest working." Uh, dedicated craftsmen I've had the pleasure of working with compared to 
what would normally be required out of those jobs, you know? They were doing everything. They were material planning for their teams. They were managing their teams. They were forward scheduling for their team. I, they were just doing everything. A tremendously difficult job. My whole effort has been, how do I make them more effective at doing the job that I really think we hire them to do and take away most of the other stuff that was just getting in the way of them really managing their team and managing their people. Did the company leadership bring you in to transition from kind of this craftsman job shop to more of a corporate structure, more mature, you know, manufacturing structure? I don't know that they really completely wanted that, but that's what they got. <laughs> no, I, I, I think, I think, yes, I think there was a, a recognition that the business for it to, to grow beyond where it was, it needed to do something different. I think it had in the past struggled with, uh, with, um, growth in terms of being able to get past some of its constraints. And honestly, I think part of the problem was the business didn't fully understand where its core constraint was. So if you, you know, uh, when I got here, the real challenge was getting trucks out the door. We'd have lots of product backed up behind the end the stage process, but we would struggle to get things literally out the door. Uh, the last mile for us was often quite problematic. So one of the early recognitions was we needed to change that bottleneck. So we completely realigned the production process to move most of those bottleneck, uh, further upstream. So, or spread them out so that they were more solvable in each of the locations by the people who were the experts at hopefully solving that bottleneck issue and preventing it from getting to the end of the line and, uh, putting in more upstream test capability so that we were able to validate each of those build processes in a more systematic way. And now I flow out the door relatively easily, uh, and efficiently. And now I've really made visible the fundamental constraint of the business, which is our fabrication capacity and, and our paint capacity. And they, those two are neck and neck with, uh, which is where you would have expected the current constraint to be. It just, the business had never really seen it exp exposed as cleanly now as, oh, we can finish trucks now. I just, if I, if I can't start them in fab, well, I can't get them out the door. <laughs> Mark, I think one of the things we talked about previously, and I think this is really interesting. So you come into the business, you identify, these are some of the challenges we're dealing with, especially it sounds like an MBS would be a great solution to implement. Yes. It's not like a new modern ERP would be really helpful, but you had some constraints that you were dealing with. Tell us, tell us a little bit about those constraints. And so the uh, obvious is, you know, you walk in the door and you go, well, there's no way you can run this business using this green screen piece of software that predates Netscape. Uh, that's just not viable guys. We need to get rid of that. Well, we've got a long-term plan to do that. Uh, we're, we're owned by a large European conglomerate. They were in the midst of their ERP selection process. So that was going to be a multi-year thing. And yes, in theory, we had the authority to go ahead and solve our problem locally, but really nobody wanted to do that. We would want to mm -hmm. fall in behind what the mothership was going to do. So 
I knew that wasn't going to happen anytime soon and way, way slower than my timeline. And having been through several ERP implementations in the past, uh, there was no way we would successfully implement ERP in the plant, given where we were with our data set. It just, it, we would, it, we would fail. It would be a disaster. So we set about to say, let's put that on the back burner and let's look at our core system problems and can we solve those core system problems using off the shelf, low cost, low start solutions, you know, license, you know, per month kind of service contracts. How do we get going without having to go get big capexes? We're not going to be able to afford a team of consultants. How do we build on the set on the stuff that we did? And and so, you know, Dazuki fundamental to us in terms of uh, being able to document and move away from that user notebook and share that information in a nice digital friendly way. And Dazuki does that really well. So that was an easy sell and we got that up and running quite quickly. Now it hasn't been implemented as effectively as maybe in my past uh, company, simply because there was more resistance to the I'm giving up my tribal knowledge and I, and I'm not comfortable mm. with doing that. So it's been more of a forced management collection system, as opposed to each of the guys really saw the value of how it could help them. They did, but they also saw the risk of it and they just didn't, it hasn't been as braced quite so, uh, easily. Over time, as we've built trust and we've demonstrated to them that we're not turning that knowledge collection into a weapon that is going to hurt them, um, they've been more forthcoming and more embracing the fact that it does make their jobs easier. It does give them a tool to review and, and improve. So uh, it has been slowly but surely being built upon, but it, it just didn't go as fast as I would have liked. The other big piece was I'd had some experience with using another uh, Australian software platform called uh, CheckRight, and it really is a digital quality assurance tool, and it's uh, a really nice bit of software, much like Dazuki, which some people get frustrated with Dazuki's approach to rigid, uh, how, how to really approach a work instruction. It's a bit rigid. It's not as... You know, you can do work instructions using Word or PowerPoint and be as wordy and verbose and as, as you want. Dazuki forces you to kind of be quite disciplined in how you do that. Some people find that frustrating. I find it really helpful because <laughs> it really focuses those documents to, to really efficiently communicate what needs to be done. Now, that requires a bit of skill in writing them, but I find that to be a good trade-off. Checkrite is very similar in its approach. Most quality assurance systems are driven around the idea, I'm going to make this easy for the transition. So if you've got a paper collection form, I'm going to show you a path to digitally collect all your words and everything you would have done in your paper form digitally. Crap. What you want is you want to transform that digital acquisition into information that you can leverage. If all you do is collect reams and reams of words that you cannot do analytics around, you don't get the benefit of a modern data collection system. Checkrite takes away all. It forces you to use your tool as a digital acquisition tool, and that's what you want. 
So it really forces you to not collect words, collect data, information that you can, and that you can really leverage with your analytics. And I think that's such a key point here too, because, you know, we're talking about your before picture, very tribal, everything's in the heads of people. You don't know where things are at and you've got this digital system for quality and checklists, right? Yeah. And you could just, you know, folks could pencil whip it and go through and complete it. That happens a lot with those systems, but it sounds like one of the key benefits is it gives you data. Hey, this operation was completed, right? Right. So our spin on our implementation of CheckWrite was not just that we used it to uh, collect the quality assurance, quality control process and and document all those steps. We've used it as an MES. So every... So every activity in the plant now, I have a inbound checklist. Might be really short. Might just be, I've got that, that item is now in my hands. It's barcode scannable. So it's relatively painless for an operator to go, it's now at this station. I get that notification and I use that to update my production operations uh, reports. We now, we, in the back end to complement all of that, systems work. We re again, how do you do things cheap? Excel. Everybody's every, you know, every company's going to have Excel there. And if you've got a, if you're Microsoft based, then you also get teams and SharePoint. We leverage all of that to the hilt. So we put what had been an Excel production schedule system into a SharePoint, uh, with, uh, list. That is, every production team then is able to tailor a view of their production plan and see that basically in real time. All of our MES information coming out of our, our check write flows update that MPS in real time so you can see where anything is during in the production process. So and those were this- done really inexpensively. Anyone, any size of business can go ahead and do that. I mean, all you need is SharePoint in the back end and, and a system like CheckWrite, and you have a relatively low cost MES tool at your, at your fingertips. Yeah. I was going to say, this is really a, not off the shelf. This is a home built MES with existing solutions. You guys didn't have to spend any no. additional money outside of the CheckWrite system. It sounds yeah. like. Yeah. And that, and uh, that, System really doesn't cost anything in the startup. It's a transactionally focused uh, billing system. So it's easy to kind of get right into it, get right into it relatively quickly, see if it fits, and then let it grow as you deploy it more. And, more. and now we use it for everything. So we, we use it for safety compliance. We do all of our equipment startup routines uh, on, on using that system. So on any given moment, I can, I know what equipment's up, what equipment has, has it gone through someone's approval? Is it in the maintenance service window? Uh, all of that's now maintained in that, in that system as well. Uh, in addition to, you know, a, uh, uh, maintenance information system that we also put in place, iFix, which is another nice little, uh, low cost solution that, uh, uh, gave us a digital maintenance, uh, information system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Mark, I think, you know, this is really interesting. This is call it bootstrap digital transformation. If you will, you took existing solutions, you found some off the shelf solutions, customized them a little bit. 
the question I have for you, did you have talent on staff already that was capable of integrating these various yeah, solutions? So, so we were very lucky. It was very difficult. So we have a fairly talented IT staff member who's not co-located with the business. He, he, he works out of a Sydney office. So, uh, but he was our point man to help with some of these deployment issues. So he's done some of the custom workflows. He helped set up the MPS. Um, I've also got a really young, talented production manager who I brought from a, my previous employer. He came with me here and he's extremely talented in terms of IT and programming. So between the three of us, we were able to really make it happen. Uh, Checkrite's been very supportive. So they've, they see the opportunity to grow their business on the strength of our implementation. So they've given us a bit of horsepower to help us over some of the hurdles, which has been, which has been good. Uh, it doesn't take a lot. You know, my view is it takes, yes, all of us, including myself, have a reasonable understanding of the IT systems, both from kind of a vision point of view, but also, I, you know, we can get into the bit of the nuts and bolts. I'm no programmer, but I can make Excel work. And the great thing is, I don't know how much exposure you've had to chat GPT, but it is a remarkable tool for people like myself now who go, how can I solve that problem in Excel or how can I, and it, it's very good at generating a very usable answer. So things in the past that I might've struggled with myself, I can now get, oh, excellent. You can generate yeah, a bit of VBA code and off you go. Yeah. I, I love this. This is really great because this is exactly right. We, we talk about, you know, how do you do this digital transformation when you have these constraints and you're, you're laying out a great kind of path for other companies. I think use the existing tools you have, you need to have the right team members. It sounded like you had some, you know, really tech savvy folks on your team already, but now you're talking about AI and <laughs> this is a great example of someone who might not have experience in a certain area, whether it's writing Excel formulas or programming a robotic arm or whatever it may be, you're saying you're using chat GPT to do some of this, to teach you. Uh, absolutely. For me right now, cause I'm six, 60 odd years old and I've, it's not my background to be that tech savvy guy, but you know, in a business where you have to be, uh, being able to lean out, lean on a, a tool like chat GPT to solve some of these, to, to get you over those hurdles where. In the past, you would have had to, well, where's the IT help desk? Who's going to come over and help me with this little problem? And you know how IT desks are these days. They're busy. They're full-time. They're dismissive. They ain't got time for you and your little problem. Uh, well, it's a fantastic resource to get over those hurdles. Yeah, Mark, I would have said, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, find a talented team, just like how you started. And then yeah. find a friend in IT. Exactly. You know, make friends with them. And, and I didn't have the advantage of the AI stuff and you're just, you're just taking in that and running with it. All that being said, the question that comes to my mind is that's all great. How do you bring that talent, that knowledge down to the, where the problem actually happens down to the shop floor? What does that interface look like? Yeah. So, you know, we, we had no, uh, we, we barely had PCs in the office, uh, in the shop floor when I started. So, and, mm -hmm. and they were pr principally used for clocking on activity, yeah. uh, time tracking activity, not a lot of PCs for supervisor use, although all the supervisors did have a PC and a smartphone. Um, so we've, 
since I've been here, I think we've now a little over 60 tablets we've deployed on the shop floor. That means almost everybody who needs to have digital access to our work instructions can. Our check right checklists and tracking activity can. And you can have real-time view of our production schedule or the MPS in that system. And so that has really helped everybody kind of embrace the, the back-end mm. solutions because they can see the benefit in their hands. In fact, we've, we've leveraged lists for some a simple thing as managing our SDSs, you know, the safety data sheets. We've got them all in there. They're all in there with linkable PDFs to the actual document. And it also comes up with an alert when they're, when they're going to be out of date and you need to replace them. So, you know, these tools are, you don't have to have ChemAlert or these other, you, you can do things in a relatively inexpensive way and get much of the benefits that you need and do it cheap. We've been using cheap tablets. Yes, we have, we have some more expensive iPads throughout the area because Checkrite has a little bias towards, has historically been a little more biased on the iOS side. So there has been some benefit, but they've really caught up with their uh, Android implementations now. So bulk of our tablets are $200, if not $150 Android tablets, and they work great. But yeah. Was it a, an adjustment for folks on the, the plant floor sure. who hadn't been working with di digital solutions in the past, or did they just pick up those tablets and it was no, basic so it, training? So in, in all, most of the work has been really well embraced. We do have, um, you know, some members who the technology is more of a, a barrier. So we've worked hard to try and leverage some of the smarts in those tools. So using barcodes and, and, and just being able to point the, the camera at a barcode to, to do some of the work. So you don't have to really get into it to both Dazuki and Checkrite are really try to take the user away from typing. So almost all of our checklist activity, there's no typing. It is literally walking through a checklist, confirming that that activity's been done, taking a photograph to document the work that's being done, uh, answering a couple of checklist style questions. And those are smart questions. So they're interactive. They depend on your re previous responses to shape the, the checklist that you're actually going through. The next evolution is to actually shape those checklists based on the actual order. So that's the next kind of step is we're working now to uh, digitally extract our order information and turn them into smart checklists throughout the production process. So right now they're kind of more generic checks, checklists that the operator has to answer some of those questions manually based on his interpretation of the sales order which or the production broadcast, which is available. I think we've been lucky with the, uh, the, the, the user acceptance of the technology we've deployed, but we've also picked technology that doesn't put a real burden on the operators either. Mark, I'm wondering, as you guys are stitching together multiple solutions, that's often one of the complaints I hear from frontline operators is I've got to jump through six different screens to do my job. Yes. And you know, you guys are using Checkry, you're using Dazuki. Sounds like, you know, maybe they're jumping into SharePoint every once in a while, potentially. Yes. You know, was there any resistance to jump into so, multiple yes, screens? I, I would say that's probably the, still probably the sense of frustration is, you know, where do I go? Uh, how do I make that more user-friendly? So one of the, so we've been trying to drive most contact, most 
informational requirements into either they're using our, che our CheckRight, which is the principal tool, the MES tool on the shop floor, or our uh, MPS the in 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 uh, in lists. And most of the data linkages occur now with links in the MPS. So an operator can go to the production schedule, see the unit that he's working on, see that in a rel in a tailored view, so he doesn't have to look at the entire. He, he gets a relatively tailored do view, and he can click on the key information that he would need to see. He can see the build spec information. He can click on another link and be brought to other key documents that feed. To. So we we are cognizant that that is a complaint, I think, and a legitimate one of any time you, you do these kind of, let's stitch it together system approach. You do get multi-user uh, interfaces that, that can be a bit difficult and unwieldy. But like I said, the, we're not asking people to get into the back ends of any of them. They're really the front end only, and the front ends are very, are relatively user-friendly. Yeah. And I'm going to emphasize that point you mentioned, because I've seen this a lot too, is linking. I think that's such a key component when you're using multiple systems, being able to have the operator just click a link that takes them to that, whether the it's next, a web application or a native app that opens it up. We have been sensitive to it. I'll, I can't say we're perfect at that because that's a, a, it's a challenging thing as particularly when you're evolving quickly to, to keep all of that together. But we pause every once in a while and try and regroup and make sure those links are, are, are good. Often, again, one of the problems with any of these multi, these kind of systems, broad, disparate systems approach is that you can break it easily. You know, these linkages that have to exist can break. So every once in a while, you got to go, I got to fix that quickly and fix it. But uh, it's, it's being relatively robust and, it, and it's much better than where we were in terms of having that transparency and cross-plant visibility to, to what's happening and where it's happening. Yeah, I often use that as a selling point too. The linking, the interconnectivity, the simplicity, once you get used to the thing. And then the mobile device, you take it with yes. you. So Fantastic. there's a lot less running around to terminals or, you know, a terminal that might be dedicated to a certain app. Um, you know, it, it, the, the mobile device tends to run everything. Um, and as long as you got the good Wi-Fi coverage and that, uh, you know, the camera, the links, you know, the apps all running on that platform is really good. So that was, yeah, that no, was it's kind of a surprise for us that, that people realize that, Hey, that really is a benefit. The, the next step for us is really providing that information corporate wide. So today mm. the plant is relatively digitally savvy. We've got anybody who's got access to the tablet or understands yeah. our internal workflows. We've got a pretty good grip on it. It's now about leveraging that data set and sharing it better. So we've just purchased a, um, one of these web web enabled display board, you know, a Raspberry Pi hardware units that you can connect to any TV. And then we can in the back end share a lot more of this data and provide that in our lunchrooms and other areas so that staff can get better a better understanding of the holistic whole of the business, not just communicate the raw production data information that we do daily, but provide a bigger business report to people. So we're just in the process of, uh, rolling that, rolling that out and check right. Sorry. Uh, you, you guys deployed raspberry Pis to, so we're just, we're just on the front edge. We've just bought, we just purchased the hardware 
And it's with, I forget the company's name now. It's one of these web-enabled. So, so there's a variety of service providers yeah. who do this sort of back-end web tools. And they sell you the hardware or they give you the hardware for free. And you pay a monthly license fee. Whatever you, however you want to work, it doesn't matter. The hardware is cheap. So I just went and bought the $100 Raspberry Pi little yes. bit of hardware. And then I got one with no cost to implement the digital signboard. And we just started to experiment with how we can share that. The engineer that I spoke about earlier, uh, Shane, is um, fairly clever with, with Power BI. So he's been able to share uh, through, that through that tool uh, the status of all of our machine shop operations. So we now got a TV that displays in real time number of parts that have been cut, number of parts that have been machined. And, uh, and so tremendous amount of information now we can start to share not just internally, but those tools actually allow us to put a screen in the, in the CEO's office or in his boardroom and say, you want to you want to see a real-time view of the plant. That's a real-time view of the plant. I, I, I love this. This is incredible because the Raspberry Pi, I mean, you could buy them for 50 bucks. Exactly. And so then really you, know, you can load a web browser on it. And like you said, you got a Power BI dashboard. That's just a web address. That's just fantastic. Constantly playing. Like what a and great check, way to. Yeah, and, make data and visible. And check right, because we've now got, I mean, an immense amount of data that we've collected within CheckRite through the entire production process. Because um, we do somewhere in the order, I think, a couple of hundred checklists a day. So to give you a sense of the data yeah. collection that's being collected, um, CheckRite also runs a Check TV application that runs on an Apple TV. And they have really simple to use widgets that allow you to easily construct uh, views of that, of all that data. And it's really user-friendly again. And you can, you can, once you've created those little widgets to display the analytics, then that's available to the Apple TV, but it's also available to any of those smart devices as you want to see your production stats, click, click. And again, easily displayed in the, in the boardroom of your, of your CEO or the Whoever you want to say, hey, you want to see a real-time view of the plant? That's a real-time view of the plant. And again, cheap, right? An Apple TV, a few hundred bucks, and you're off and running. So, Mark, we've, we're kind of going through this, you know, again, I keep calling it bootstrapped digital transformation because, I mean, that's essentially what it is. You're constrained yes. from a budget standpoint. You've implemented these various off-the-shelf solutions connected and together, you even got Raspberry Pis that are displaying data on TVs. I'm curious, you know, what's the future look like? Are you guys going to stay in this state where you're, you know, kind of? I hope know. not. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> although, although I, 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 I am. So part of the motivation behind doing all of this work, our bill of material improvement effort, our digitization of the bill of material. So one of the other foundational pieces that we had to solve was sharing a comprehensive bill of material, a good shop broadcast with routing information, drop point information to the shop. And so we had literally this ERP system, again, using that term very generously, uh, which produced a paper uh, shop broadcast. And it generated for each department, a, ideally, in principle, a partslet. This is what your job is. What These are the things you need for that production job. It was incomplete, was often inaccurate, 
and it was non-digital. It was only available in a PDF format. We couldn't, there was no mechanism to actually generate that digitally. It only existed literally in the PDF, uh, a constraint of the system that was producing it. So it took us a while to figure out how can we extract that data digitally and provide a digital shop broadcast. We just, just towards the end of last year, we, we finally were able to, uh, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, our IT guy who, our Shane, who really, uh, extract, was able to take a look at all the HTML files that were produced, extract those HTML files, turn them into an Excel spreadsheet, which we now have. And we now have a digital shop broadcast extracted out of this, um, ERP system. And now can deploy smart, updatable, real-time spreadsheets. And so we started off with just capturing those HTMLs, putting them into an Excel spreadsheet, but they were still a relatively dumb spreadsheet. Then we were able to take our item master content, move that into an external Excel spreadsheet, and then use that as a digital tool that I could more, I could add fields to the item master. The ERP tool itself was very limited in the fields that we could add for at the item master level. So pulling this out on a daily basis, building a new Excel item master database allowed me to expand my item master content. So I've added routing details, drop point details, station details at the item master level. I now then, we then made each of those real-time shop broadcasts updatable. So they, any time someone opens up that bill of material to look at their shop broadcast, if they hit the refresh button, it doesn't change the parts because the parts, once the job is released by engineering, then the, the, the bill of material content is, is locked in, but all of the other update fields update are as they are updated in real time. Whereas historically, that once that piece of paper was printed, if that, if that routing changed, if there was a drop change, none of that could be changed. It was done. We wouldn't see the impact of that new information for 90 days before a, a new shop would hit yeah. the floor. Now that's all real time. As soon as we say that I need to change that drop point for that part, it's instantly available to everybody using this kind of crude, but effective digital shop floor broadcast system that we've kind of uh, put in place. Did, did the, this exercise, right, that you guys went through to implement, you know, all these various solutions, do you feel like people in the organization understand the business and operations better now? Um, yes, I, I think people, we, we have greater visibility. I think it's also easy to misinterpret, uh, the stuff now. Um, and that's part of what we are trying to do now is to bring the analytics piece into uh, better focus. Let's get, let's. We've got a lot of data. We haven't really structured the analytical uh, views of them as well as we should, as we would like to. All of this work has been done to position us to deploy a new ERP system, and I am I, I'm 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 really curious to see how that goes because we've almost now solved all of my real digital requirements without doing an ERP uh, system. And I am, um, be curious to see if we actually feel that it's a good move for us or whether we'll go, you're just going to break everything we've got 
and not give us things as effectively as we have them. So it'll be, it'll be, I'm curious to see how this will unfold. Yeah, you're gonna have to be careful what you wish for. Exactly. Because, uh, because although this... having, yeah, having said that, uh, I do feel that really most of our MES, which is now is kind of in check right, will be has a smart API interface, will be integratable into any ERP system that we use, and obviously Dazuki can. So I think really, if we think about ERP is replacing our 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 legacy ERP system and what we've done within uh, SharePoint, I feel like that's going to be a, a much better tool and a much better database than, than we currently have. And it, it will be a positive change. Yeah. Sounds like it. But those, are, it'll be definitely a, a challenging uh, changeover. So it'll be good, good to see. Mark, you know, as we, we come to a close here, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you've been on this journey now for, for how, how many years has it been now for you? Two going years. Through this? Two years. Two, two years. Two years. What does it take for another company that's maybe listening to, to this episode and they have similar constraints that you do? What, what do you really need to have in place to embark on this, again, bootstrapped digital transformation journey? Uh, a champion. You got to have a champion who's got to be driven by the need to understand. He, he, he's got to be. It can't be, it can't be driven around someone having a vision. I want to be digitally. I want to, I want to look like those guys. I want to feel like those guys. You can do that, but to do it the way we've done it takes passion, energy, commitment. And that, and that comes from, you know, the heart of people that you have. That champion needs to, you need to find that champion in your business. Who's that guy. And it doesn't have to, you know, we, we, as part of this effort here, one of the things that we've discovered is that we have uh, we have a lack of visibility. What I'm going to call to whip parts. So, if we store control the part, we got very good uh, visibility. But we do a lot of parts that we've made internally, and once they leave the controlled environment of our cut shop, they're often mis they can be misplaced. The routing is is tribal still. We don't have a, a very good digital routing. And people can, we can lose, we can lose track of these parts. So we've created a small little parts team, a material control team. And we cherry pick a couple of clever guys that we found in the shop to help man that. And the work that these, these kids have done now using, in fact, we, we found this relatively inexpensive store management tool. It's like for 50 bucks a month, it, it gives you a check-in, check-out tool for parts. And, and it's all um, barcode capable. So within a very short period of time, these kids have picked up on this almost free software, now are starting to use it to digitally track all of that material that was invisible and not tracked in our ERP system and got that up and running in a matter of weeks. They don't have to come with an IT title. They don't have to come with the three letters behind their name. You just got to empower it. Find the guys who, who've got an interest and give them some empowerment. And you'll be amazed at, at what kids can, what they can do these days. Gosh, Michael, this sounds like what you talk about all the time. How do you create pool in the organization? How do you find the people who are excited yeah. and, and want to, that's the advice Michael shares constantly. And I think, you know, obviously you guys are, are living that. No, it's yeah, you, you guys are willing to experiment 
yeah. um, and modify. That's another catchphrase. Copy exact rarely works. Yeah. And you guys are living proof of that, but you got to start, right? You got to get your, get your hands dirty and start tweaking, uh, you know, find those, those, those great resources you mentioned, you know, internally people with a passion and then the air cover. Yeah. The champion yeah. support definitely, um, sounds like a perfect formula. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been really, it's been really exciting, uh, being able to do all these things. And, and to be honest, I've learned a lot myself. I've never really done as much as we've had to do here outside of a normal, you know, with all of the normal formal production tools. So it's been a lot of out of the box thinking to get that. I've been very fortunate to have some really talented people yeah. around me to, to make things happen when we've sat down and sketched out an idea. How do we do this? And, uh, uh and, and, you know, we've pulled people, sometimes those conversations, particularly around the limitations of the old ERP system, when we started to have conversations around, well, you know, why can't it display all of the bill of material content? Well, we simply have too many lines and it has a line restriction. Well, oh how would we work around that? How that those questions had never really been challenged. And so they just gotten used to the system was the limit. We'll work within its limits. Whereas I've said, look, the job is what defines what we need to do. Our, you know, we need to do these things. How do we get past what we see as our constraint? How do you work around this system? And it took a lot of pulling, a lot of meetings of getting past the, that's a limitation to, well, why don't we create three jobs for every one of our jobs distinct the process is quite distinct in the plant and each of those three jobs can respect the constraint of the system and we will be able to actually produce a full shop broadcast for everybody who needs to actually know what goes into the thing into the product we're building so sometimes those conversations are not so easy to get people to see past what they see as a a, a, a system constraint but it's been really satisfying to get people to challenge themselves, challenge our software, and then methodically just work away at, once we know where we got to go, how do we solve this problem? Wow. Mark, this is incredible. This journey that you guys have been on to be able to implement these systems time together. I, I got to imagine that you guys are going to be so much better prepared for all the advancements that are going to continue to come down the road when it comes to manufacturing technology, as well as probably innovating on your products as well. I imagine that's going to, you guys are just in a much better state than you would have well, been we, if you would have just brought a consultant in. Correct. And because we've done it ourselves, people now know the, what we, what we need to do, how we need to look. So when people now will come, the consultants are going to come soon to start to talk to us about the ERP implementation. And we're going to be, I think, a much more aware customer of what I need. Had they come two years ago, that conversation would have been, this is our ERP system. This is how we're going to do it. This is the process that works for 90% of our customers. Get in line, make it happen. And that might've worked, but I don't think so. <laughs> I think, whereas now we're going to go, yeah, that's okay. But this is actually the way we need it to, for us to be successful here. Yeah, you've learned so much in this time yeah. period to to make those requirements clear, and and in the meantime, you can focus on growing the business. Exactly, you know, you're solving the little problems and the requirements, and and on the other side, you've got some free capacity coming, so you can yeah. grow. 
Just love that. And, well, that's, that's the, I think that's the next, the next hurdle for the business is now that we know where those real constraints are in the plant, how do we, how do we, whether that's through additional labor or process improvements or investments to get past those constraints, we now know where they are. Yep. Uh, you can, you can now have a good conversation around how do we get past that constraint? Well, Mark, thank you so much for, for coming on the show with us and, and sharing your journey. I, I think this is going to be one of those episodes that people are going to pick and pull apart for ideas. It's really, you know, creative is, is probably the best word to describe your guys' approach here. And I, I think it's for a lot of companies, this is an actual, really a good approach. As you've been saying, this is really going to help you guys understand your requirements going forward. So thank you for coming on. No, thank you. It's, it made me fully... It, Actually, the process has allowed me to realize that we did more here than I think we often give ourselves credit for, and the team's done a fantastic work. And I think I'm going to take some time to see if I can't put some of this down in writing in some sort of white paper that says, hey, here's a roadmap for a mid-sized company with some real constraints that I think is, is duplicatable elsewhere at relatively low cost and low risk and can be strapped onto almost anyone's ERP system. So uh, I think there's value there. There's a story to be told and, and I, I'd like to take some time and try and tell that story a little more formally. Well, I think you should do it <laughs> because uh, I was just looking at data the other day that 93% of the manufacturers in the US are 100 employees or less. So there are I mean, so many companies that are just like you guys. That was the most exciting uh, post I've seen in a while because that one just said to me, you know, there's an opportunity for, for me to take this, what we've done here and kind of package it up in a manner because there are lots of customers in that 100 manpower size business who will struggle to solve these problems. And I think we've got a solution set here that's relatively low cost, easily deployable, uh, and, and will deliver the functionality that big big dollar systems do and obviously do it better, but this, it gets you 90% of what you want. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, so, thank you guys. Appreciate the time. Yeah. All thanks, right. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the voices of manufacturing podcast with Brian Salee and Michael Mullenberg. This show is brought to you by Dazuki, the premier digital transformation solution that allows manufacturers to standardize operations. Our website, where you can listen to our episodes and find tons of helpful resources, is dazuki.com. Sign up for our monthly newsletter so you'll be the first to know about new episodes. That's dazuki.com, and join us in creating the front line of the future.